everybody. Hello, and welcome to the Friendly Aussie Podcast. Hello. <laughs> Maurizio. And Hello there. How are you doing over there? Yeah, very well, very well. I'm very pleased to be um, in your podcast, so thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Yeah, yeah we're really pleased to have you. Maurizio is a cannabis entrepreneur that has entered the legal cannabis market with a probably a pretty unique CBD product, to be honest. It's one of the more highly concentrated CBDs. And we thought we'd bring him on today to kind of talk about how the challenges around coming into the cannabis space in Australia, the regulations, the importation, all of that, and um, just the general positivity that CBD brings in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, a long road uh, for me, um, Joseph. Um, it's in terms of when I started and when, uh, until now, I, I guess, you know, when not long ago we started, uh, being, uh, operating where we're operating now. Uh, but since the very, very beginnings is, uh, it's been a long road. And as you said, there has been multiple changes in terms of the law and, and instead of, in terms of like getting the licenses and all that sort of stuff that I guess that we can unpack a little bit more. Um, uh, and also the, the learning curve that it has been for me, for my family. And I also have a personal story, um, you know, with mom um, just passing, passing no, no long ago. It's been not even a month. And, and also seeing, I guess, the, the impact that it has with her, um, uh, the palliative care, um, because uh, I think if it is fair to say everything in terms of this new venture, it started because of because of her. Like um, all of this started about four or five years ago um, when mom was still obviously alive and, and she had problems with um, sleeping disorders. Um, she was always a very... I don't know, very nervous person. So she had that, 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 that issue. And the, the, the number one thing was that I, she couldn't actually see uh, or be, she, she, she couldn't be prescribed anything else, but I guess opioids or sleeping tablets based on different chemicals and the side effects of that weren't uh, very positive for her. So that's kind of when my, the journey started for me in, ter- in terms of um, my business. Um, because I really became very curious about why doctors wouldn't prescribe anything else but the traditional pharmaceuticals that we, I guess, we have always heard about them. So um, I, I really started doing my own research and I managed to, to help mom uh, with uh, products out of Canada, actually. It was a um, full spectrum product, one-to-one in terms of THC and CBD, and that um, uh, helped mom a great deal to not only fall asleep, have good quality sleep, but also like the side effects were not there for her. So she kind of ticked all the boxes. And, and you know, at the same time, I kind of started seeing the legislation changed in, in Australia. And uh, because, well, I forgot to mention that my background is actually uh, South American and mom uh, was... Uh, in Chile and I've been here for the last 13 years I guess and um, yeah so the last four the last four years when she 
she really started having those, those problems. And for me, I kind of saw the change in the legislation and uh, being in favor of, of cannabis, of medicinal cannabis. And then it's when I started doing pretty much all the, the research about the licenses, about what needed to be had uh, in order to, to be able to, uh, I guess, help any person who wanted to have medicinal cannabis uh, get it, uh, make it accessible for them, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a, a very long road in terms of, um, as I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, a learning curve in terms of uh, learning about the product, learning about the different compounds that the plant uh, possesses, and um, and also I had the opportunity to travel to uh, a few different destinations where uh, cannabis is actually legal, so. Three and a half years ago, I went to Oregon. That was when my son was actually born, my son, Luca. Um, the wife wasn't very happy because I was traveling right after she had been given birth. But um, I guess it was uh, all for work and research purposes. So uh, I, I flew to Oregon. I spent about a week over there and I, and I saw absolutely everything firsthand. And I was uh, even though they're very advanced in Oregon, because even recreational is, is it's it's been legal for quite a while, um, but I really saw the, the the other side of it. I guess you know, no, with the stigma, uh, people, you know, they have been doing this for, I guess, over a decade, legally for I guess for the last seven to eight years. But you know, this has always been there, and. Um, and then the other, sorry. What were the challenges like when you kind of found you decided, okay, I'm going to, I want to be a guy that's bringing in CBD. Mm -hmm. what, what did you have to do um, for the government or the regulators to be able to do that? Like where in the journey does that happen? Um, well, that happened maybe three years ago when I started uh, doing, I guess, going through the legislation and uh, making sure that, you know, I had to comply with the security uh, side of things and with the legality side of things. So I have to get a place, a warehouse where I need to have a security camera, um, sites. Um, I mean, the list is endless. So you just start approaching this and you start discovering that you need uh, something else and then uh, you know between the the saves that they need to be pretty much indestructible for like somebody uh trying to break into it they need to be literally um on that part of the law kind of say that the, somebody has to be literally trying to break into with um uh with a piece of equipment that is they can be literally like five minutes hacking at it and trying to get so the whole thing needs to be bolted to the ground like the security of it it's 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 but it needs to be that way i mean i'm 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 glad that it's uh that is that way because then uh, it means that everything uh, needs to follow protocols and look at the same time if it was too easy too many people would be doing it and uh, as i said that that i child challenges but just like in any other business or I guess in any other job that you that you would do you you know so I suppose any, um, like limitations that you've uh, 
come across in terms of dealing with the TGA or the regulators? Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, yes. Uh, but I guess um, everybody's learning on the go. Everybody's. Um, this is such a new uh, thing, and if you think about this, if you really think about all of these, like all of. Oh, like almost 99.9% of the people that are in business right now, or well, 100% of the people, this drug has always been illegal. So, so it's since the moment that we were born, we knew bad things about this thing. So, uh, it's it kind of takes a lot of time for people to change their mind and to see evidence and, uh, you know, to really make sure that they say well, no, you know, what we have actually in all our lives is actually wrong. And there is now enough evidence out there that these compounds actually help people with this uh, diverse uh, range of disorders. So I suppose, yes, it is a little bit frustrating. And I ha we have had instances that um, we spoke to, I guess, with personnel um, and they don't really understand what, the, the compounds are but then you know you have to put it all into perspective because there are also humans that are learning this new drug you know so I suppose it can be very tedious it can be very um, sometimes frustrating but I suppose yeah we have to also understand their side yeah that's a really good insight hmm. I mean it's it's a very slow moving um, legal and bureaucratic <laughs> system that you're working with as well. So, you know, yes, yes, yes. Um, but, uh, but also look, I'm very lucky because I can see, I can see uh, the Australian legislation at the paces that it moves. And then I'm also working on parallel with uh, uh, a couple of business partners in Chile. And in Chile, it's almost the same. The legislation is almost a mirror. Yeah, wow. But, but the legislation is, the, the legislations are mirrors, but then when it comes down to executing, mm. uh, you dealing still with South America and then you're dealing with Australia and the difference is so big, so big. Um, so, uh, yeah, I can understand people being very frustrated and or you know having issues with uh, entities, but at the same time, when you can extrapolate it to different uh, countries, I guess it's not bad at all. <laughs> yeah, context is important for sure. Correct. Yes. <clears throat> what um, did you go into business prior to this business? Like, were you working in that space or? No. Look, my. My background in terms of business have, had always been uh, food. Food and previous to food was pharmaceuticals. Um, I was uh, working for a family-owned uh, business. Um, and I can only speak very good things about them. Um, they were great. We were doing um, a good job in terms of, you know, we were bringing uh, Australia imports pretty much I don't know, 70 or 80% of our weed, it's imported. Like, I mean, um, before I worked in the food industry, I was like, I couldn't believe the numbers that 
you know, the country imports in like with all these different products, you name it, like almonds, walnuts, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then, as I mentioned to you, when I started all of this, maybe four or five years ago, um, I was very much working in the food industry. And I also saw a light, like a different antenna, like, like speaking to me, oh, you know, like I always, I always knew cannabis wasn't, uh, wasn't um, as bad as they painted it to be. Um, so when the legislation changed, like I really, I put myself through like hundreds and of hours of, I guess, um, research at my own expense, because I knew that there was something in there. And uh, the more I dig, the more I found, and the more I knew, the less I knew, you know, it's just kind of funny how we hear this all the time that People said, oh, you know, the more I dig into this, the less I think I know. But it is literally like that because there is like the only the endocannabinoid system was only found in 1992 or something like that by Israeli uh, doctor in conjunction with an American one. So even the doctors that we are actually talking to right now, they probably wouldn't know, they wouldn't even know about the cannabinoid system because in their medical school, they probably were not taught about the, the endocannabinoid system. So- yeah, it's interesting because the last guest we had, uh, Dr. Todd Sapritsky basically said the same thing. Oh, oh, oh really? There yeah. you go. He's, uh, he's like, not only do regular people not know about the ECFs, most doctors <clears throat> don't really know much about it. No, because it's not part of the curriculum that they are taught. Yeah. Like I have, I have spoken to, um, it's funny that you mentioned that I spoke to like three and a half years ago when all this started, I started speaking to my local GP. I um, have a Chinese background and uh, Australian, but uh, parents are Chinese. And he's so funny. He, he, he was very, always very uh, attentive, like very, he had ears, for, you know, like to listen, like, you know, but at the beginning he would look at me like, what are you talking about? Like, well, this is marijuana is this marijuana and it was like yes but he has you know i would explain to him and and in the end he was um he was he started doing his own research and he started prescribing as well because he's he 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 well but and i always knew like i did i did go to a business school back home in chile and i remember having this professor back home saying that when you deal with Chinese, they are very slow in that in the take and negotiations can take years. And I never saw this as a negotiation because for me, it's my local GP and I was just talking to him about the idea that I had, but yeah. he, he would look at me funny, you know? Um, uh, but then after the whole process, I thought about, well, it really takes a long time uh, to, 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 I guess, to to convince somebody and yeah it, funnily enough uh, he was the first person who who started prescribing our our product so yeah and um i think before you you mentioned something about patients having uh, a really good impact uh with the products currently i have um one of my neighbors uh he he had um, been diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer probably more than 10 years ago and a um, very interesting person. He lived um, in Europe for 20 plus years, 10 years in Geneva. And in Geneva, he, he received a really good treatment 
against his uh, prostate cancer. So it, it almost made it dormant for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And now only last year, towards the end of the year, he became alive again. And, and then he got tested. Um, he got in, put into a, a big scan machine and pretty much scanned his whole body. And unfortunately, he has, you know, uh, metastasized everywhere and uh, in his back and his brain. And because he, he started become from asymptomatic to, you know, being very painful and hardly to even he found how it hard to move and hard to walk and all these sort of daily things that we take for granted. And um, he started taking, he went to his um, GP and obviously he prescribed um, some opioids as they usually do. Um, um, and what happens is that this guy um, started, I guess, because I had met him for a few months prior when he was on a medication, I started seeing like a bit of a different behavior when he went into opioids. And the only way that I can describe it is that he was a little bit more loose, like in, like he's a 70 plus year old person and all of a sudden, you know, and he wasn't happy either. He said that it's like, the pain was still there, like the whole, the whole problem was still uh, there, so, he actually went to the pharmacist and the pharmacist, I had already spoken to him about CBD, but I didn't want to, you know, push any further. So he went to speak to the pharmacist and the pharmacist um, said to him, um, or suggested that he should try some alternative medicine because opioids, opioids based medication was not going to do anything for him because he hadn't been shot or stabbed. So he didn't see any improvements. And uh, so the pharmacist, uh, so the pharmacist in, in, in other words, suggested an alternative medicine. And he, it's been like 12 days now that he's been without pain, like no pain. And he's been only on a 4% uh, water soluble uh, CBD oil. And it's water soluble, and we find that it has a really good effect on people because there is a lack of uh, volatility um, of the product. So, in other words, you can get uh, maximum absorption if it is water based, as if it are oil based. Yes. Okay, I haven't heard of um, water based CBD at all. I've only ever mm, heard of yes. it in uh, oils, capsules, things like that, but I've never really heard of it being diluted in a water. Yeah, it's um, they use hydroxy, the hydroxy compound for it, and um, they had uh, some other. Um, uh, they they had some curcuminoids to this CBD oil, um, to this recipe, um, and. Our suppliers is, is out of Europe and it's one of their most uh, popular products because of the absorption um, uh, of the product. I mean, you can get a real, you can have it with with tea or with a, with juice or with, in a glass of water, you know? Um, yeah, so, I've always just been used to the oils. I've had... Um... Oh, maybe two, three years ago, I had some isolate like as a dab. Like, oh, yeah. That was, 
That was interesting, right? And just CBD or? Just CBD, just CBD. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, that was really, really interesting. It was um, probably the most clear-headed I think I've ever felt other than maybe after a really deep meditation. It was just, Yes. You finish smoking and it's just like, almost like a pop and it's like, and your just mind just completely clear. I've never um, been so clear-headed in my life, I think. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. And I have actually... Yeah, that like I don't think is talked about at all. And I had that from someone who has like very chronic pain and uh, epilepsy. So he's um, he had that and it helps with him like a lot. Like he doesn't get any uh, seizures anymore or anything. But because yeah. of the chronic pain, he wants to always be kind of like on that higher concentrate. And mm. that is something that we have access to. Um um, 99.9% of CBD uh, purity in, in powder form. Um, we, we haven't actually prescribed it yet, but uh, it, it is something that is we... allowed to be prescribed? Um, yeah, well, yes, because I mean, it's, um, it's the compound. So that is allowed to be, okay, yeah. to be prescribed. So uh, I suppose... It wouldn't make a difference if it is diluted in oil or if it is uh, pure. Um, the most, I think, the most critical part when it comes to the prescription, it's um, that it needs to be clear how the doctor the doctor prescribes it and how the dosage needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because, for example, um, and this happened only last week, we were prescribing to one of our patients and. Um, one of our oils, specifically the the water soluble one, four percent, uh, it comes in um with a pump rather than a spray. So, uh, I think the doctor wrote spray rather than pump. So the TGA wrote back saying if he she could actually cr- clarify, it, you know, if he it was a pump or a spray and how much per pump it was as in terms of the milligrams of CBD per pump. So I think the most important part of it all is that when the doctor dosage is right, yeah, correct. So, yeah. yeah that's the biggest thing they've been trying to push um, from what I've seen on the problems with medical cannabis. They're like, how do you get a patient to dose correctly? And for me, like when I started on the program, the doctor kind of started me on 0.2 mil and then we worked up to 0.3 and then 0.4. And it was like, where do you find like your happy balance? And I find it somewhere in between 0.3, 0.4 days where I'm really maybe having um, just a stressful time. Maybe I'll just take a bit more like 0.6, 7 even. Um, and that is uh, milligrams or is that, uh, is that oil or is that? Oil. That would be, I think it's uh, 0.1 is 10 milligrams. So like I'm typically taking 40 milligram and then on like a bad day, I'll take like 70, maybe twice. Right. Um, and I take 40 uh, twice per day normally. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, um, but yeah, it was like a little bit of a process in the first few months, kind of just talking about uh, to the doctor, like, how did it go for you? Do you need to up it? Do you need to lower it? And that sort of thing. With CBD, mm. I've never really found, um, if I have too much, I don't feel like it like impacts me. But if I have too little, then I notice that like, well, I didn't have enough. Yes, so yes. Scale, I never really feel anything to like, I mean, there's no psychoactive effects. There's none of that. No. And, and that is actually, yeah, it's a good point. Because like, for example, it is... You know, it is funny how 
different governments look at this compound because in the EU, in the European Union, they see this not as a medicine, they see it as a, supplement, a, yeah. as a food supplement. So um, obviously, yeah, it all, you know, it all, the perspective is everything. And, and but I guess from, from the angle that it needs to be well dosed and all that sort of stuff, uh, what they're trying to do, and I think they're very, being very methodical here in Australia is the, you know, the, the dose part. And, and also it's important so they can really um, come up with formulas, I guess, and I say, you know, uh, these levels, they affect you this much. It's all, it's all about evidence and it's all about being, I guess, uh, more in control of the substance. And then, but this is endless. Like, have you thought about like driving and all this sort of stuff? I don't think, what do you know about that, uh, Joseph? Because you, you are always talking to different people in, in the yeah. industry. So the driving stuff, like, I mean, there's a big campaign rolling on at the moment called Drive Change. That's um, headed up by Tom Brown at uh, Honolulu and Lucy Haslam and Fiona Patton, I think, is also backing it. And that's basically a bill that's being pushed forward for uh, medical cannabis users to be somewhat exempt from roadside testing um, if they test positive to THC. They're trying to make it that a saliva test is not enough evidence to say that the person is impaired. Um, makes a lot of sense because a lot of us, you know, we probably have THC in our system all the time, even if we're not um, stoned, high, whatever you want to say, medicated even. Like, yes. It's been... 12 hours, 24 hours, and uh, there's no effect on it, on me, on, uh, in my system. Correct. The saliva test is going to say otherwise. And it's it, having um, THC in um, my body isn't going to do any of that. But anyway, where it's all kind of heading is hopefully that will get the laws kind of changed and um, all of that. The problem I think is like with CBD, for example, Unless mm -hmm. you're getting a pure isolate CBD that's not full spectrum or broad spectrum, mm -hmm. um, you're going to potentially come up on a test for THC, even though there was maybe one to 3% THC in your oil. And the only reason it was in there is because it helps with the CBD with the entourage effect and um, Correct. the endocannabinoid system going. So the question mm -hmm. is, would someone potentially test positive while driving with just CBD? That... Um, I'm really interested to see if a case like that has come out or will come out or something like that because I think that's yeah, precedents. Yes, and I, uh, look in theory, if the oils uh, that people are importing, even the, even if they're full of spectrum for the entourage effect, um, the full of everything is so regulated. So. So basically, the difference between the full spectrum, broad spectrum, and isolate, uh, the difference is if it is full spectrum, it has to have up to 0.05% or 0.02%. So, and, and that is if it, all the oils that are entering to the country and they are being well manufactured as uh, manufacturers as per they say, they say that, that, that these oils are, then I don't think we should see any cases on the road being done by just CBD oil. Mm -hmm. 
that is that is kind of like my take Be looking looking at it from um manufacturing point of view because um it's very very minimal the, the amount of thc now for a product to be called um broad spectrum it has all the terpenes all the cbg all the cbn compounds minus the thc even though in that small 0.02 percent that it is um when it's called full spectrum and then you have the the isolates um and in my opinion well the isolates are probably the, the cheapest cbd out there um and that is only for a couple of reasons i guess it's because all the other compounds are extracted but also it's cbd isolate can also be made out in the lab um chemically so um we'll see i guess just like in the european union they have we will see a lot of um isolate cbd just because it's the cheapest yeah, the the cheapest option for for people. Um, but also, yeah, in Australia towards like it seems like in the cannabis community in general, yes, money. I mean, the money is a pull, of course. Yes, um, there's like a, a real push towards broad spectrum and full spectrum oils, at least from what I've seen. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. I, and I'm only talking about this is because not for what I have seen here. It's more so from from our, uh, our partners in Europe that they, they, they have seen this a long time ago because, I mean, the Netherlands had been doing this for over a decade. So, uh, and, and, and it's a big market. So, um, and when there is a big market, then, uh, you know, these kind of things happen. And I, yeah, I'm, and I'm only saying it because from that point of view and from that point of view is, I guess is um, we'll we will expect to see when you know those products when all of these become more mainstream. But I don't think we will see them until further down the track when when you know oils become over the counter and all that sort of stuff. Yes. Well, speaking of over the counter, have you yes. looked into the over the counter laws and? Are you trying to get yours to be um, available over the counter? That'd be cool. Yes, we are. We are actually. Um, but as everybody probably have heard or read um, lately, uh, it's not. It shouldn't happen uh, in less than in less than twelve months. I'll say. And um, we just as a company, we have received um, a quote from from an external organization to do uh, all this, uh, this scheduling from four to three and, you know, from becoming a prescription medication to uh, becoming over the counter. And it takes uh, probably about 18 months for, for a company to do, to do this. Now it takes for about 18 months because of a couple of reasons. So you have to do a validation test to the product. And that lasts about six months or six months. So basically what it is, is you check your product at day one, and then you check the product at the end of uh, the uh, month um, six. And the results of, I guess, uh, the active compound needs to be spot on 
um, as uh, from the moment you started the, the whole exercise. And then there is about eight, 12 months for the TGA to review all the, the paperwork, which is pretty extensive. It's about the literature, it's about the claims that you can actually make. Um, is you have to present a dossier of you know it's 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 substantial it's a it's a big project but we 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 will do it because um we will see we i mean we see we have seen i have seen uh with my own eyes i have traveled also to 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 canada and the canadian has been they have been doing this for over a decade as well um and uh, there is more than just chemicals to, 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 I guess, to help people. And I see that very clearly and I see the big picture and, and I think it's, um, yeah, I think it needs to be done. <laughs> no, it's just, uh, it was such a depressing thing when, you know, they say it's like CBD is legalized over the counter and you have stories of people going in and going, oh, is CBD available here to like in this warehouse or something? And they're like, nope, not yet. And like, I've heard like maybe 20, 30 people tell me these things and it's like, and then I have to give them the kind of rundown. Yes, it was, but you have to wait probably 12 to 18 months if you're lucky. Yes. <laughs> maybe it will actually pop up. Um, but in saying that, it's like, while it was, you know, big leap forward, it was probably two steps back, but maybe we went three forward. So we're a step ahead. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. And also talking about clickbait, right? It's yeah. all about reading the news and selling yeah. uh, headlines, That's I guess. That upsets yeah. me probably most because, you know, you have um, politicians that are like, they're going to just tell us that, um, you know, it's been legalized. It's all good. It's here. It's here. We've done it for the people. Same with the existing medical cannabis scheme. It doesn't yeah. need to be improved. Really. Everything's <laughs> perfect. It couldn't run any better. And yeah. like, I think about it and I'm like, I don't under, I don't even understand why, like you've got the restrictions. Like I have to call the doctor to book myself the ability to get a refill on my scripts, right? Like I have to waste a doctor's time for that. I think a doctor has more important things to do than um, do that, but they can't give you an amount of repeats, right? They can't... Um... Can they not give you... How many repeats can they give you? None, You for at least my clinic. So... The idea is that he kind of prescribe you every time. Uh, but I think if that's a business model, my friend, because yeah, we, well, we, we, um, we do give our patients uh, repeats. I go. think with CBD, it's a little easier, but I think um, if you're going towards the flower and the THC oil, I think there's a lot of TGA restrictions around. I think you are actually spot on on that because yeah. uh, THC becomes uh, schedule eight. And then it's on par with uh, heroin and all these other heavy drugs. So, yep, yep, yep. So basically, they are two different compounds. But Even it's just um, it's just crazy how much inefficiency it is on like doctors' time. You know, like they could be seeing more patients, but instead they have to see existing patients to be like, "Yep, it worked for you. Cool, I'll write you a script because it keeps working for you." And for the patients, they have to turn up to the doctor to go through that whole process every time. Ah, uh, well, it's a phone call, which is okay, but it's the fact that you know you have to go through. But you do, you do you have to pay as well? Yeah. Well, obviously, the, you know everybody. I mean, I guess the the, the times of the doctor is 
it's, it has to be remunerated. So. Yeah, well, the doctor has to be paid as well. And because there's no, it's obviously not covered by uh, Medicare. No. Some yes. private health care uh, funds can cover some bits. Some bits, care. yes. But like yes. most of them, when I've seen, like they can cover you for maybe $350 to $500 a year. So it's like $50 off each appointment or something or off your medicines. But it's like, cool, I'm saving $500 a year, but I'm spending $1,000 every time I get the medicine. So if I'm doing that every two months, you know, $500 a year isn't really much of a saving on the private health on top of the cost of the private health. Yeah, absolutely. So it's that I think is... Um, Probably my issue. I just don't think doctors need to be the ones prescribing the flower. I feel like doctors need to prescribe you the ability to get cannabis, but then I think there should be specialists in deciding, you know, like, and helping you. It could be the nurses, for example, yeah. and they're the ones who help you decide what flowers and your dosing and all that. Why does a doctor need to do that? It's so if like authorized prescribers could like broaden out, yeah, probably have like a much more accessible medicinal cannabis space in Australia. Yes. Because yes. The other thing we all see is how many do how many of these clinics are looking for doctors? Every single one of them. There's not enough doctors. No. They're, they're all but, mm, but the problem, I think that you, when you you look at that also is because all these doctors have been only alive while this thing has been illegal, and it has been literally zero. Um, what would you call this? Um, would yeah, there is no really an incentive, an incentive for them to be educated about all of this because mm. it has always been illegal, right? So, but I get your point. I get your point. And because they're so far and few in between, these doctors that are actually interested, we, we are kind of, yeah, experiencing that there are not many doctors. But you know what? This is going to change. This is going to change and it's going to change slowly but surely. And the more uh, clinicians, the more GPs that start doing this, they're going to start seeing, and because the government is being very systematical about their approach, they're going to be able to, and I think like personally, because I see all from with foreigners, I guess, eyes, I see that the communication from the government to the, to, to the people, is actually amazing here in this country. You know, they're always working towards something. They, if it's not road infrastructure, they, you see the sites updated all the time. They're always working towards, like, I mean, three or four years ago, I started working on all of this and constantly they're, you know, uh, renewing the information on, 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 on their websites. It's always very, very forward. I've been, I've, been, I've been very fortunate to, 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 to be able to be even brought up in South America where everything is backwards. <laughs> you just go too, too forward and then you go four backwards, you know? Um, we do and have then, systems here in Australia. I guess the police oh, think people holding us back. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, no. It's, it's amazing. So, uh, yeah, I hear you. But also I think it's, it's just, some, you know, I think in, in a very short period of time this, this will change and you know, hopefully what we saw earlier on last year in New Zealand, uh, hopefully happens here soon. And then they soon will realize what the people really want, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, a government can put a blind eye on, on what people need and what people want. Right. So, yeah. and, and, and as I said before, these are very progressive societies where everything matters and 
people are uh, in the forefront kind of making uh, arrangement to the legislation yeah i think i think we'll be surprised how how quick this will happen mm -hmm. yeah mm. Where, where especially in the cbd space the cbd space 100 percent. that will yes happen. the medical cannabis recreational debatable i think the medical will pick how up. long how long do you think joseph for which recreational or yes recreational Until the government changes mauricio <laughs> And what about you? What about you? What about what? Sorry, I forgot your name. Mitch. Uh, Mitch. Yeah, I just said Mitch. We'll wait until the government changes, the federal government, because they're way too antagonistic at the moment for things to change. You, I don't think we'll ever see a recreational market legalized by a liberal party on the federal level. That's, that's all I'm saying. I yeah. just, they're not the party to do it. Malcolm Turnbull was an enigma in the sense that he created the existing medicinal cannabis scheme. Yeah, the problem is M Malcolm Turnbull, his wife owns like a huge amount of P Fizzer shares. She's she's so in bed with P Fizzer, it's like unbelievable. Yeah. And what 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 is that institution? Five. I'm not I'm not familiar with them. Hmm? What is that institution? I'm not familiar Biza. with them. Biza is a big farmer. The oh, Biza. Yeah, 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 yeah. I call yes, it yes, P because yes. I'm an idiot. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Um, but. You know, Turnbull was probably one of the only hopes the Liberal Party had to do it. But he got kicked out because he was too pro-climate uh, climate change and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. But I think, I personally think by 25, we will have um, probably a legal state. I yeah. think if we do, it'll probably be Victoria. Yeah, Queensland could be a legal state, but... It, it might actually take longer than others. The problem I think we've got with Queensland mm. is while we are a Labour state at the moment, is um, Anna uh, wait, Palaszczuk. Palaszczuk, yeah. But Labour's good, yeah? Labour's good, but centrist. You know, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're very moderate. They're not pushing for much. Anything got have, there's like two narratives. You've got the narrative of Southeast Queensland and the urban areas, and then you've got the narrative of the regional Queensland. And what is, is that? And what is and what are what the, what are the difference between the two? The the differences is that in southeast Queensland, you want to see action on climate change, complete restructuring of the energy grid, uh, leaping into the twenty first century in a lot of progressive ways, making economic reforms and welfare reforms and technology reforms. So a lot of that is based upon, you know, a well a long standing kind of base progressive agenda. Then mm -hmm. you've got on the other end, working class people mm. in the sticks who are increasingly seeing less economic opportunity because it's all in the, in the cities. Yes. And they are really scared that the existing traditional economic model that is set up there is going to be crushed by the pressures of the city. Like mm. the fact that you've got runaway climate change, a lot of them just straight up deny it because they, they are coal miners or iron ore miners, you know, mm. and so there's this culture that exists within, you know, regional areas, which is particularly um, focused on economic prosperity. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the urban areas, it's about environmental sustainability, regenerative cultures. Yeah. And which one do you line more towards, Mitch? Well, I, I think that you need to do both. That yeah. you actually need to bring the regional areas if you have a progressive government and you want to have action on climate change you don't capitulate to the coal lobby the 
resources lobbying the existing economic interests. Mm-hmm. And you go, okay, we're going to restructure the entire economy. We're going to invest billions of dollars into the regional areas. We're going to have people move into those areas and we're going to completely reinvest into these economies in new ways. So new industries will be set up, people will be reskilled, et cetera, et cetera. That just hasn't happened and the Labor government hasn't tried to do it. So I think um, the other, where I was going to lead with it wasn't that end. Yeah, sorry. But for me with uh, Palaszczuk, she very much to me appeals as like a mother. She really, really has that mother kind of vibe. And I think as a result, like the whole drug talk, you know, a mum saying, yeah, we're going to legalize cannabis to other mums. It's just not going to work well for her image. Yeah, she's got yeah. A very she's not the person to push it through. Type vibe going on, and I think I, that's because um, she's not not to be you know mean or anything, but she's kind of got like a very public service type vibe. Um, <sighs> like she's somebody who you would expect in education or health, like a carer. Yeah. Yes. She's the premier, and yeah. she has to yeah. make tough decisions. So. Yeah, it doesn't actually suit her personality. Yeah. Um, yes, 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 I think yes. That's the problem. But in saying that, we have two Greens members in um, Queensland. Queensland now, which is pretty, I think that's historic. I don't know if we've ever had that. We've never had that. We've never had two Greens members. Mm-hmm. So, Queensland and Brisbane itself is quite progressive. Yeah. Um, in the South, but as soon as you move out, yeah, you've got to deal with bigger problems. But it's two people like kind of enough for them to uh, make things happen or still a small um, percentage of the... It definitely can get a conversation started at least. You know, they, they're the only ones that are probably going to be like, hey, we should legalize cannabis and they can keep poking, you know, going... I see what you're saying. This? And then maybe at one time there's going to be some opportunity where labor needs them to sign on for something and they can maybe use that as leverage for can we relax the laws regarding cannabis even if it was like a decriminalization level you know like ideally labor gets wedged between the lnp and the greens and they have to do something with the greens to address cannabis reform Uh uh-huh you know that that's kind of the hope but the greens also have their own agenda of other things that are more important so yeah that's right <laughs> don't put cannabis first so. this is the greens, right? i thought it was great the green party i thought everything was green i thought, I thought the green the, the green was a priority <laughs> but uh, it is what it is and northern territory also has apparently a really high chance of legalizing right for their youth crime, you know, they wouldn't get um, incarcerated and it. that sort of stuff. Yeah. Obviously, we have ACT, but what I like, if we remember back to 2000, and I think it was six, where they legalized gay marriage in the ACT and then it got removed like in a day or two. Um, what does that mean? Like it got passed and then it got. Yeah, well, because I think it's like the federal government was like, no, no, you can't do that. It here. was actually the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court. There we go. Oh. But Mitch, you, you, love, uh, you, you love politics, Mitch, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does. I studied at uni. Oh, did you? I How did. old are you, Mitch? Sorry, what was that? How old are you? Oh, 23. 23. You have a very um, young face, young man. Thank you. Yeah, I'm keeping <laughs> it up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, but where I was going to go with, in 2006, they um, legalized an ACT gay marriage, got removed in a few days, whatever. But how many years later did gay marriage come into effect um, in Not all of Australia? Mm. In all of Australia? But there it was is like a... 10 years, wasn't it? It was a couple of years. 
No, when ACT did... happened in like 20. No, 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 but across Australia. Yeah. Australia game. Joseph got competitive. Turnbull. Yeah, I know it was Turnbull, but it was 17, 2017, right? So nine years. We legalized cannabis last year. So 2029, we'll have cannabis federally legalized in Australia. No, we'll, no because it was actually 2016, Joseph. If yeah. you go by that, then we will be 2005, right? No, so 2014. Eight. Uh, 2028. No, no because you, you, you said, didn't you say that it's like uh, nine years after the fact? Uh, eight, nine years, yeah. And eight, nine years. So it happened one year ago. Ah, uh, ACT. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. So 2028 for federal legalization. Canberra, ACT is the testing ground, and then they'll move it across the whole country within 10 years. Well, um, look, what's a decade between yeah. friends? <laughs> well, let's see if we can do it quicker. I, I reckon, I, look, I reckon, you know what I reckon? I reckon it will happen quicker for a few reasons. Because actually, funnily enough, I was, um, I saw this uh, post that it was done by somebody and he posted that they made predictions about, in 1950, they made predictions about uh, 2020 predictions uh, about that everybody was gonna be entertained by small devices and everything was going to happen at home. And if you think about all of, sorry? No, no, no far. And what we have heard about all this technology that increases anxiety and that increases all these type of behaviors that we aren't supposed to do. And therefore humans become anxious, they become nervous, they, we have too much dopamine in our system. Um, so hopefully all of that is going to help to bring what we were talking before forward a lot quicker and not 10 years, Joseph. Potentially you'll see a mental health revolution. That's going to happen at some point. Look, I think it's crazy what's happening. Like it's uh, uh, obviously nobody talks about it because it's, it's, it's no sexy. It's no, doesn't, you know, bring you uh, views or whatnot. But um, when this started to happen, as, as in like the pandemic sort of stuff, I straight away and, and, and went to see videos about isolation. And isolation is not good, my friend. No, not isolation, good. Isolation is what you do to people when they go to prison and they misbehave in prison. That's right. So uh, when all this started happening, I was like, wow, this is just like a human experiment. Like mm. it's, and it's, it's very difficult to not to have a reaction when you have already done how many like studies in jails when people actually literally go crazy in these isolation rooms, you know, uh, and, and we can't expect anything good out of these. Right. Well, particularly in this society, which is already quite alienating and isolating. Even yes. Functioning well. Yes. You all of a sudden are like, all right, stay in your little tiny houses and don't leave. Yes. And that does create serious problems. And you've seen, uh, of course. you know, conspiracy theories erupt and emerge out of um, the dissatisfaction that people have with the current situation. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I don't think a lot of that 
anger and dissatisfaction is unwarranted at all because we don't have the systems in place to take care of people right now. Nope. You know, even if they're well and don't have COVID, they do still need care. Yeah, I mean, as I, I had mentioned to you, um, Joseph, my wife is a health worker. She works for um, Ambulance Victoria down here in Melbourne. And um, look, luckily enough, she's, she's not down, uh, on the road anymore. She's not on the, on the ambulance, on the track, as I call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for a good five years before Luca was born, um, she worked on the emergency services and night, uh, probably 90% of the calls from, from people are um, from mental health. Mental health issues, it's huge. And that was when there was no pandemic going on. Wow. Um, Yeah, and the drug of choice is alcohol. Yeah, Uh, and it's legal and cheap and everywhere. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Not cheap anymore, but yeah. Yeah, no, but I mean, alcoholics drink very cheap, to be honest, Joseph, and I know a few cases, sadly enough. They they drew, they go through just casket wine. It's not about, it's not about, enjoying the drink it's about it's it's literally about spacing out and just being drunk all day you know and as cheap as they can do it they do it it's it's sad it it is very sad because when i started doing this research i think it puts more than a hundred thousand people in hospital on yearly basis in australia Mm -hmm. so the system suffers so much just because people don't know really what to do like obviously all these people's are actually suffering not from something that you can go to the GP for, you know? Like it's it's uh, it's all, yeah, exactly. There's this exactly. sense that when people are um, grinding for certain metrics in the, in the human economy and in our society, we neglect other essential aspects when we focus very thoroughly on like growing 3.5% a year every year like there are certain things that we just don't take into account because they're not as important to us. Mm. Um, and if we if we continue down that road, we're going to see great loss, I think, and great suffering continue. Um, yeah, and 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 that's exactly how the whole pandemic is approached. Yeah. It's approached with a very narrow vision. The narrow vision is all about safety, but safety like in in brackets because mm. they don't talk about anything else but uh, being at home, yeah. they don't talk about anything else, but I mean, they could talk about so many more things, you know, like to it's try to- opportunity to restructure things. Society, yeah, correct. Uh, listen, we've been talking for an hour. We're ending on a little bit of a depressive note. It is a bit of a sad note. Yeah, but we, yeah, but you, you know, it's- but This uh, is the problem we've it, got. Um, yeah, it's reality. I think it's just a case of, you know, if you can give some people some weed, they're probably going to be a little happier in isolation. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, 100%. <laughs> a bit of that, but it's, um, I think the modern way of looking forward to the, tw- the next hundred years and everything, it's like, how are we going to address all of the mental health issues that have kind of come up to the surface? And I think cannabis plays a big part in it, but I don't think it's like, the be all and end all it's definitely not a solution i think it's more like i look at cannabis as kind of for people as a tool you know you need to cope sometimes went through a bad breakup someone died something like this you might need something that like numbs you but you don't want it to be alcohol you don't want it to be opiates you don't want it to be crack i don't know no 
you want some option to kind of help you understand your feelings, your thoughts and everything. And there's nothing better than cannabis, right? For that. It, it yeah. lets you completely psychedelics. Uh, if you were going through real trauma, you really wouldn't want a psychedelic. I mean, right? that's true as well. It's, it's just too much. Yeah, I mean, psychedelics, I think they are good. They, they, they are good. I, have, I don't have experience uh, with them, uh, but I have read uh, a good book about Dr. Hoffman. And oh, nice. you really started seeing a pattern on people that use psychedelics. But I don't think psychedelics can be put in the same category as weed. Nope. Because I think even though I don't have any experience with them, I know that the people that have experience with them, they don't would use it every day or every second day or once a month. Too it's too an experience. It's too intense, right? It's almost way yeah, way too intense. So said, I feel like psychedelics have a, a an effect that goes far beyond the onset. Once you've taken anything, it kind of lasts for life. That's my opinion on psychedelics. You don't come out right. the same the other way. Um, most no, yeah, it changed. gives you a new, a know, profound everything experience. It doesn't yeah. even have to be profound. It really doesn't. No, it's no, not always. It can it's be not very profound, and it will make you think about things in a whole new way. Like that in itself is profound. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, it's like a revelation. It doesn't need to be yeah. profound, but it needs to be kind of like I, I, I self discovery. Uh, yeah, it's kind of self-discovery. It's kind of like I mean, the best way to put it. Way, even though you can do it more regularly, I think the, the introspective quality of cannabis feels like a light or a very mild psychedelic that you can expose yourself to more. Yeah. I think yes. cannabis is, you know, your daily psychedelic. Pretty much. <laughs> it's like yeah. you couldn't take acid every single day, but you can no. a little bit of cannabis every day to reconnect. But, Correct. You know, is that to say that having cannabis every day is good? We don't actually know. We don't know. We don't I know. personally think probably not, but I don't know. It helps me function. It helps me um, go about my day. It doesn't really hinder me too much. Um, oh, so, but look, I don't think, yeah. And, and besides, besides, besides it's, it's only a little grass. It's, it's not, it's not yeah. so much. And every now and then, uh, you know, uh, if it makes you feel reconnected, if it makes you feel a little bit happier, why not? And it's literally um, has a lot less side effects than, than alcohol, that's for sure, which is widely used and yeah. widely promoted. Cannabis. Uh, Why not? Exactly. Why not? Exactly. Why not? <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I think that's good. We can like leave it there. And um, thank you Fantastic. for having a chat. And um, we'll have Mauricio's wife on soon, who's a nurse. We can kind of go more into the mental health aspect. Uh, come on soon. Cool, yes, you. please. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you soon.